Awesome. Well, um, some of you know me and some of you don't, but my name is Ruby, and um, it is my first time speaking and properly speaking a, a proper message, so I am a little nervous. So, you know, just bear with me. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, when Pastor Neil and Simo asked me to preach this morning, um, I was nervous, but at the same time, it, was, it is an incredible honor to be able to preach and just to even have been asked to preach and that they trust me with the microphone when they're away. So, um, yeah, this morning I want to speak about faith in the unseen. And it comes from that verse, Hebrews 11, where it says, Faith is the confidence of what we hope for, and it is the assurance of what we do not see. And very often, you know, it's such a big topic, but very often we hear it in the sense that our God and our Lord, you know, we can't necessarily see him with our own two eyes. And um, it goes to the extent where if we did behold God with our own two eyes, you know, we would surely die. And that in itself is just like completely out of anything that we could ever fathom or comprehend. But this morning, I want to speak about faith in the unseen in the sense that we need to have faith that God will pull through, even when before us we can't see any evidence that he is at work. And even when before us we can't see the fruit of our efforts, we need to have faith in the unseen, and we need to have faith that God will fulfill the, what he has promised to us. And um, as a kid, promises have always been a major thing. Like, when I, was, when I was a kid, I remember there were three different types of promises that I can remember. And um, they were kind of different promises that were used for different circumstances. So the first one was the pinky promise. And um, one of my best friends, Belinda, is here. So let's just say that Belinda and I are like five. And Belinda tells me a secret. And, you know, she tells me and then she's like, now, Ruby, you have to promise that you don't tell anyone. And then I'd say, okay, I pinky promise. And then we'd do the you know, that thingy, and that seals the deal. And, you know, on top of that, then there's the, um, the cross my heart and hope to die promise. And that's when, you know, maybe your friend would tell you something, you know, maybe then, um, and, you know, you don't believe them, and so you'd say, now, do you promise you're telling the truth? And then they'd say, cross my heart and hope to die. And then you'd know that they're telling the truth. Like, you would just know. And the last one is, I, I call it the ridiculous promise, because it's, it's just silly. <laughs> and it would be when, um, you know, you'd get told, you'd, be, you'd tell someone, you know, um, your friend, and you'd say, so-and-so told me to tell you to do this, and blah, 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 and it would be this big story. And they'd say, are you sure? Do you promise? And then you'd say yes. And then they'd say, do you promise on your life? And then you'd say yes. Do you promise on your mum's life? And then you'd say yes, and it would go on your sister's life. And I'm not joking. Like, this is, this is what we would do as kids. This would be our form of contract. This would be our form of sealing deals, making promises that are unbreakable. And the, the point of that is that from an early age, from an early age, kids understand that promises are things that cannot be broken. They are things that cannot be broken. And... The thing about the Bible is that, you know, these pages, they are full of promise upon promise upon promise upon promise, and there are a bajillion promises in this word. And, um, 
you know, just to name a few, it's promise of joy, promise of peace, promise of freedom, that who the sun sets free will be free indeed. It's the promise of providence, that we would have sufficiency in all things because of the grace of our Lord, the promise of protection, promise of, um, what else is there, healing, that's by his stripes we are healed, promise of um, health, promise of strength, you know, amazing promises, amazing promises. But what do you do when what God has promised us doesn't match up with our reality. Like, what do you do? What do you do? For example, I have three lovely little sisters, and there are times in my life, there have been moments when, um, you know, I have had to look at God and I've had to say to him, Jesus, where is this patience you speak of? (laughs) Or another example... And again, Belinda will know exactly what I'm talking about. Anyone who has experienced year 12 will know this. That when you're in year 12, amidst the chaos and the stress and the assignments and the lack of sleep and the busyness, you know, often this year I have had so many moments where I've just asked God, God, where is this peace you speak of? And, you know, they're just trivial little examples. But if we were to be real... No matter who we are, life can throw us so many curved balls. So many curved balls. And, you know, Jesus never said that we weren't going to have trouble in this life. Um, You know, one minute life can be peachy, and the next minute we find ourselves in a place where we are just desperate for a breakthrough, desperate for a promise, where we're, like, on our knees saying, God, where are you in this? God, I need you, God. I need you to pull through for me. Um, And it can be anything from pleading to Jesus for healing, whether it's for yourself or whether it's for someone you love. You know, healing, that's a a major promise that we often find ourselves, you know, asking God for, asking God to fulfill. Or it could be, um, you know, asking God to fulfill a promise of providence. Maybe it's finances or like a job or a house or a need, an answer to prayer. Or maybe it's perhaps freedom from a mindset or from a habit. And I just want to ask you this morning, you know, is, is there a promise in your life that you're just waiting, you know, waiting on God to fulfill? Or are you someone that perhaps, you know, needs to start believing in God again for something? something you know, there's a promise that perhaps you've kind of slipped under the carpet because you just, I don't know, when you're in that situation from experience, personal experience, to know that when you're in that situation and you're believing God and you're believing and you're praying and you're trusting and you're believing and you're praying and you're trusting, it can be so exhausting, so exhausting, especially when you look at what's in front of you and you can see, see no evidence of progress and you can see no evidence that God is actually at work. Um, and especially in that place, I think it's one of the most dangerous places to be because it is so easy to get complacent and so easy to just accept life as it is because, you know, like I said, it's, it, it's exhausting just keeping on going, keeping on going, keeping on going. So to put things simply, having faith in the unseen is not the easiest thing in the world. And having faith that God will be faithful when you look in front of you and you can't see any evidence that God is actually at work you know, that's hard. 
And especially when, you know, day in and day out, day in and day out, you're just believing and praying and trusting and believing and praying and trusting and just trying to find the energy to do that, it's, it's hard. And especially when days turn into weeks and weeks turn into months and months turn into years and years turn into decades, that's on a whole nother level. You know, the Israelites, <laughs> like, how did they even do that for 40 years? How did they do that for 40 years? Like wandering in the desert aimlessly, like that is just ridiculous. I'm sorry, but I would not be, I would not feel prepared to do something like that. I don't think any of us would ever feel 100% prepared to go 40 years in a desert wandering aimlessly, just waiting on God. You know, God is today the day. God is today the day. God is today the day. And um, I think the most incredible part of that story, though, is not necessarily the story of the 40 years, but it's how God brought about that whole promise. Um, and it's in Joshua 6. And basically what happened is God said to Joshua, talking about the city of Jericho, God said to Joshua, on the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. When you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets, have the whole army give a loud shout. Then the wall of the city will collapse and the army will go up and everyone straight in. So that's what God said to Joshua. However, this is what Joshua then said to his armies. This is all he said. All he said was, and he ordered the army, advance, march around the city with an armed guard going ahead of the ark of the Lord. And then later he says, do not give a war cry, do not raise your voices, do not say a word until the day I tell you to shout, then shout. So I don't know if you noticed, but Joshua missed quite a major detail when he communicated what God had told him to his armies. And Essentially, God told Joshua that the walls would come down on the seventh day. But Joshua didn't actually communicate this to his armies. And um, I guess thinking about this, this story is not about the faith of Joshua, even though I accidentally told Michelle that I was talking about the faith of Joshua, and so she wrote in the newsletter. Anyway, if you read that, then it's actually not about the faith of Joshua, but it's the faith of the Israelites. And essentially, it's the Israelites that are the heroes in this story. Because, yeah, after wandering 40, day, 40 years, they were, then forced to, they were then forced to circle around a city silently for six days with absolutely no clue of what was going on. You know, essentially, essentially, the Israelites were going through the motions day after day, Believing, praying, trusting, without any signs of progress whatsoever. And I'm sure the Israelites had their own way of dealing with this, and I'm sure there were some that were rebellious, and some that were angry, and some that were annoyed, and some that were frustrated, and some that were, you know, just completely just overwhelmed by this ridiculousness of the, I guess, the fact that they were just wandering round and round and round around a city silently. And I don't know about you, but I'm sure that part of me would also be rebellious and angry and, and asking God, why are you doing this to us? And I think for me personally, if I was an Israelite in that situation, I would be asking God, 
you know, I would probably be having numerous discussions with him, just saying, God, this is absolutely stupid. The promised land is right there. It's right there. And if you would just let us get in there with our own weapons and you would just let us get in there with our own strategies, it would take a lot less time than what we are spending, you know, just wandering and wandering and wandering around this city aimlessly and silently. Like, God, this is stupid. God, this is absolutely stupid. (laughs) You know, we have this tendency as humans or we have this tendency to be tempted to at least say to God, you know, God, scrap this, this is silly, I'm going to do my own thing because you're taking too long. Sometimes God, you know, his timing is never convenient. Well, often it's not convenient, but it's always perfect. Um, But yeah, the tendency of our human nature to want to do things in our own strength is, I think, what makes this story so amazing. That the fact that despite the circumstances that that they saw in front of them, they remained obedient. They remained obedient and they simply did what God wanted them to do. There's this amazing quote that I will never, ever forget. And it's so simple, but it's life-changing. It's by a, a man named Stephen Furtick. And it says, Obedience is our responsibility, but outcome is God's. And I think this answers that question about what to do when what God promised you doesn't match your reality. You know, what do you do? Well... From the story we can learn, we can say to God, you know what, God, until the time that you have appointed for my breakthrough, I'm just going to remain obedient. And I'm just going to keep praying and believing and trusting and praying and believing and trusting that you are going to pull through and you are going to be faithful. Having a key to having faith in the unseen is obedience. To believe, pray, trust. And so... If you are someone who is perhaps believing for something or believing for a promise to be fulfilled, then I just want to encourage you to just keep believing for that healing or keep believing for joy or or keep believing for that freedom or keep believing for providence because God will be faithful. You know, how great will that moment be when God actually pulls through for you? How great that moment would have been when those walls of Jericho actually collapsed, especially because... The Israelites, it wasn't in their own skill, by their own power, by their own weapons, but it was purely by God's goodness, purely by God's faithfulness that those walls came down. And I think that's what makes that story so amazing. The Israelites were obedient, but God took care of the outcome. And in saying that, how sad would it have been if the Israelites had stopped marching on day six? Like I said, they didn't know that the walls were going to come down on day seven. So how sad would it have been if they had just given up the day before? So I want to, you know, propose the question to you, you know, what if you are on day six with your promise or or what you're believing for? What if you're on day six? From all that I have said this morning, if you were to take anything away from this, I would hope that it would be that God is faithful and that if you just keep going and you keep believing and you keep trusting and you keep praying and you keep obedient, then God will pull through for you. He will pull through for you because God loves nothing more than being able to do what you can't do. 
and being able to do what only he can do. Essentially, that is the message of Jesus, that Jesus did what we couldn't do, and that was save us from the mess that we're in. So um, I don't know how much time I have left, but to finish up, to finish up, I thought it was only fitting that we are reminded of essentially the greatest promise of all. The greatest promise of all. And it is. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. And he will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. And just how beautiful is that? No one crying. <laughs> oh dear. <laughs> you know what amazing what an amazing moment. <laughs> this is really bad, I'm sorry. <laughs> but you know, we live in a crazy, crazy world. And, um, you know, you only have to watch the news to see that. But... But on the other side of this lifetime is an incredible promised land. And it is, it is eternity that we get to spend... <laughs> With um, I don't know. I'm crying. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, really, I'm really sorry. <laughs> okay, breathe. Okay. Anyway, on the other side of this lifetime is our promised land, and it is, it is essentially eternity that we get to spend with Jesus. And there is nothing better than that promise. And what an amazing moment it'll be when God actually fulfills that promise <laughs> and when Jesus actually comes back for us and we get to, you know, we get to live in this promise that we have been holding on to for this, for this lifetime. That, like, that'll just be amazing. And... um. I don't believe it was a coincidence that the Israelites, they circled around their promised land. I don't believe it was a coincidence that their promised land was in the center of everything they did. And for us, you know, until that moment that Jesus actually comes back, you know, I, I believe that we're called to navigate our days here on earth in a way that keeps our promised land in the center, that keeps eternity in the center. And I hope that makes sense in the sense that 
you know, we need to live in a way where all our decisions and all our actions and the way we live is based on how it affects eternity, or more so, how it affects who will join us in eternity. So that's something to think about. And I'm going to go before I cry more. But, um, yeah, thank you.